is A to Z with Mark Zinno, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, and it starts now. Good afternoon. Welcome to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, where today I tell you money changes everything. Welcome in. We are live here on this Thursday. Appreciate you making A to Z part of your daily sports listen. Give us a follow on Twitter at Locked On ATL. Of course, I'm at Mark Zinno, M A R K Z I N N O. So much to do here on the show today. Jake Gordon from Sports Talk ATL going to join the show. This guy's a lot of fun. He's certainly interesting. Follow on Twitter. You'll If you don't know him, you will after the end of this show. we got some incredible fashion choices to talk about. And, hey, the Braves won a baseball game. Hallelujah. We'll do all that and more, plus shovels of wisdom right here on this Thursday edition of A to Z. Appreciate you starting your day with us right here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Okay. Um, it is Thursday, and SEC league meetings are continuing on. And there is a lot of consternation about something that seems so obvious, something that seems so easy to figure out. And yet, um, well, the smart people in the room can't do it because they're haggling over money. The scheduling issue for the SEC, whether they want to do eight conference games or nine conference games, is not going to be voted on. It doesn't look like at these meetings at all. They don't have to do it at this point in time. They don't have to have anything set until 2025 when Texas and Oklahoma get to the SEC. But boy, it would be nice to figure out all this stuff now. Nonetheless, we have a really bunch of really smart people in the room trying to decide whether the SEC, in short, should get rid of Georgia, Georgia Auburn, Alabama, Tennessee, Forget Texas and Texas A&M ever playing each other. You know, like these are obvious kind of football things that we all want to see as college football fans. And somehow there is some sort of discussion that the idea that, well, I guess maybe Georgia, Georgia Tech should take supreme over Georgia Auburn, which I don't really understand. That said, the nine game schedule for the conference is the easy, obvious choice. It makes it so much better for you to be able to have those three consistent opponents every year. That means Georgia gets Auburn, Georgia gets Florida, and Georgia gets one more opponent, whoever you want it to be, whether it's it's Tennessee or somebody else that they're going to see every single year. And then the other six conference games would be on a rotating schedule. The idea of doing the one and seven where you have one consistent opponent every year, in this case for Georgia, it would be Georgia-Florida, which means Georgia-Auburn wouldn't happen on a routine basis. It's just silly in favor of making sure that you schedule Georgia, Georgia Tech every year, which we don't really need to see in reality. In fact, Georgia Tech fans don't want to see it in reality. Georgia fans don't need to see it in reality, but yet it happens every single year. Now, I've only been in this state for eight years now, but I can tell you that Georgia, Georgia Tech seems to feel like a waste of my time. Even though Georgia Tech has won a couple of games in my tenure here, nonetheless, it just feels like a waste of my time. And I don't say that to slight Georgia Tech or their fans or their football program or whatever, but in reality, if you're asking me what game do I would I rather watch, Georgia-Auburn or Georgia-Georgia Tech, yeah, the answer is obvious. If you want me to watch Georgia-Tennessee over Georgia-Georgia Tech, yeah, the answer is obvious. Hell, I'd rather watch Georgia-South Carolina than Georgia-Georgia Tech. So this, this whole consternation about the conference schedule all boils down to one simple thing, money. 
and the commissioners and the teams and the programs that are holding on to, to the eight-game conference schedule is simply because of the idea that they want to make sure they can be bowl eligible, right? Because one more SEC game for Vanderbilt, you know what that means? They don't have four cupcakes on their schedule. They only got three, right? They can't schedule Rice and go beat them. Like that, that's, that doesn't happen when you get rid of that game. Uh, if you got eight conference games, four non-conference, all you got to do is win two conference games and you can go to a bowl. Now, if you have to win three, it makes it a much tougher climb for the Vanderbilts for, at the, you know, at this point, uh, Mississippi State, uh, you know, those, those, the bottom dregs of the league, uh, Missouri, you know, those teams this, that, that, are, that are just in struggle bus mode right now. For them to, to, to be prisoners of the moment and be stuck on something because your football program isn't where it needs to be now in favor of a big picture deal it's just short-sighted and it's stupid. And, and in reality, the other argument of this should be is to change the bowl requirements to five wins. And there are some people, are you kidding me? Five, 500, you get to go to a bowl game? So what? There's six bowl games that matter. We all know that. The rest of them are for pure entertainment purposes and entertainment purposes only. I mean, at the end of the day, do I turn on the Belk Bowl because of who's in it? Or do I turn on the Belk Bowl because it's on TV and it's a standalone football game, you know, while I'm wrapping Christmas gifts on a Saturday before Christmas? Like, what, what are we doing here? And oh, by the way, yes, in the Belk Bowl, I'd much rather watch, you know, uh, Missouri versus Minnesota, Missouri versus Northwestern than give me a Dragon the American, whoever it is. You know, versus somebody from Conference USA. Like, I, I, two schools I'm never going to watch, period. Right? I, I'd rather watch two Power 5 schools, even if they're 5 and 7 Power 5 schools, go against each other than two non-Power 5, 6 and 6 teams fight it out. I don't need to see San Jose, San Diego State. Like, it does nothing for me at all. Other than the gambler and me wanting to bet on the game, it, it, I have absolutely no interest in it. And to be honest with you, you shouldn't either. Unless you go to one of those schools or have some affiliation to one of those schools, there's no reason for you to have an interest in it. But at least I, I can look and see possible NFL players uh, on Missouri's roster or, or or Vanderbilt's roster, right? Like I, I I can I can watch those guys play. I, I can go watch, you know, um, um, people from Rutgers going to the NFL. Like th that that happens. So I'd rather watch Rutgers you know, play uh, whoever at the – Kansas in the bottom of the Big 12 than any of those other smaller schools. So lower the bowl standards. Who cares? There's like 50 bowls. Like, do you really care about who honestly makes one beyond the top six? Beyond the top six bowls, do you really care who gets what? Unless you have an affiliation to that school, what is the reason to care? This is such an easy decision for the SEC uh, and – the schools that are holding on to that bowl game, which means extra money, extra revenue, extra everything, and even for the conference, the more teams that make bowl games in the conference, the more money the conference gets. They're letting that dictate the answer instead of better football, better product, better quality. And in reality, the more money comes from the better TV ratings, right? Because that's what this is all about. The SEC is moving to ESPN. They're going to have a huger contract. They have more TV ratings, all that stuff. That's where they need to be.
And, and to me, the idea that you're thinking so short term about a bowl game that in reality doesn't matter. Uh, and I guess I shouldn't say, cause it, maybe it does matter to some of these smaller power five schools, but for one that doesn't matter in the grand scheme of college football and especially the sec, this is a really easy decision and I'm not sure why they're struggling with it, but here we are. All right. Coming up next. Uh, if you have seen or looked at sports talk, ATL on Twitter, Jake Gordon of Sports Talk ATL going to join us next right here on A to Z on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast, you search Locked On Sports Atlanta. We'll be right back. Welcome back into A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast, you search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Give us a follow on Twitter at Locked On ATL. I'm at Mark Zinno, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. And don't forget to check out all the shows we have here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, including Locked On Falcons, Locked On Hawks, our Braves postcast. With Grant McCauley, hitting hard with John Chuckery and ATL Day Ones with Jarvis Davis and Tanitra Batiste. My next guest really probably doesn't need any introduction because if you're an Atlanta sports fan, you certainly know his website, Sports Talk ATL, and you know him on Twitter because, well, he's a very highly known commodity after Deshaun Watson was rumored to be coming to Atlanta. He is Jake Gordon. You can find him on Twitter at Cantgard Jake. He is here on A to Z. Jake, uh, Chief Operating Officer of Sports Talk Atlanta. Great to have you here, brother. Great to finally uh, do some face-to-face stuff. Yeah, I know. We, we've done the spaces and stuff before like that. I think this is the first time we've ever actually uh, sat down and done a show, though, so this should be fun. All right. Uh, before we get to all the side stuff, let's start with the sports in Atlanta, particularly the Atlanta Braves, who have uh, reached a level of frustration for most fans that we didn't expect to be at. I, I think you're past the point of World Series hangover, I think you're at a point where you might not be as a good a team that you thought you were. The problem is, is that the names on the back of the jersey should be a lot better than what they're playing. And I have set June 15th as the date on the wall. After they get through this this Rockies, the A's, the Pirates, and the Nationals, if they can't be above 500 by then, then is when I'm officially pushing the panic button. Are you there yet? No, I definitely agree with you, though, because, you know, it's getting to that time where, oh, you know, they made a huge run. Um, you know, they weren't, they weren't over 500 till August last year. I get all that stuff, but the Mets are a lot better this year. And uh, you you do have the extra playoff spot. So I'm not as worried about making the playoffs, but if you talk about competing for the division, it's gotta be sooner rather than later. I understand it's June, uh, but this is just like we saw last year. You know, I've been on the record saying this multiple times. This team just like, it just seems like they can't play a complete game of baseball. Somebody just doesn't show up to the park that night. It's either the defense, the starter, the offense won't get any action or the bullpen will fall apart. It just, they can't get a complete game. Last night looked pretty good, uh, the 6 0 win, but it was against Arizona and they, you know, they lost two pretty easy games there. And that's just disappointing. Those are the games you got to win. And it's just, just like last year win one, lose one, win one, lose one. It's just frustrating to watch, really. Yeah. And, you know, look, uh, I say they're, they're, they're not playing a brand of baseball that I like. Like the games that they're losing, it's okay if you lose a game every now and then where it's three to two and your bats just don't wake up. It's okay every now and then if you blow a game, you know, because your bullpen, your closer blows a safe. Like that happens to every team in baseball. But for nine innings, they just don't look like a very fundamentally sound baseball team at times. And that to me is frustrating. Yeah, and it's the little things too. It's it's errors, um, you know, just not hitting with runners in scoring position. That's really the most frustrating part is they are a good team. They have good players. They're just not playing like it right now. It's just like it was last year. Um, it's just really, it's the end of the day, it's just terrible to watch. I hate watching yeah. it. <laughs> I'm certainly not staying up late when they're on the West Coast to watch it. That's for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, one final question here on the Braves, and, and I wonder, Alex Anthopoulos has had a reputation forever as being an uber-aggressive GM. 
Now, all that was before he had won a title. Do you think he changes course here and says, well, I'm going to sit back and just let this run out where we are? Or do you feel like there is at some point in time a shakeup that could come if they're not over 500 by the time we get to that June 15th sort of line of demarcation that you and I have set? Yeah, no, I, I definitely think that it's possible that Alex Anthopoulos could just make a move. Uh, there's plenty of guys that are going to be available. And if he feels like they need an outfielder, I think he will go get one. It's really all going to depend just because they don't have the assets that they had a couple months ago before they acquired Matt Olson. And even before then, it wasn't great. Uh, but they still got a couple guys that they can throw out there. And you look at somebody like Andrew Benintendi from Kansas City, who's absolutely crushing it this year. Uh, Brian Reynolds is actually having a down year, but you may be able to get somebody like him on a discount. Um, and then, of course, you know, Anthopolis, nobody saw Jock Peterson, Jorge Soler, Eddie Rosario, all those guys. But I don't think that's really going to happen this year. I don't think you're not going to get that, that stroke of luck again this year. You're not going to pick up uh, the NLCS MVP and the World Series MVP for pennies at the deadline. You're going to might have to do something a little bigger. Yeah, I, I think at this point, other GMs are very weary when they when the phone rings and it says 404 or 678 or whatever it is, the number is from uh, the Atlanta offices. Uh, uh, send that to voicemail. We'll call him back uh, because I'm not going to be the dummy who gets fleeced at the deadline like it happened last time around. Um, all right, let's switch gears here. Atlanta Falcons. Uh, and for the record, it was great doing this spaces thing on Twitter with you guys uh, right before the draft leading up to it. I think there were some really great conversations with fans and viewers. I, I don't do enough of those spaces things on Twitter, but they're a lot of fun. When somebody else does them, I love to jump in and sort of just, you know, do what I always did on radio for years. Just stir the pot and get the hell out of Dodge. Uh, but nonetheless, we have a Falcons team right now that has drafted a pass catcher two years in a row inside the top 10, which is still head scratching and perplexing to me. That said, what I am focused on right now is sort of how the rest of this thing plays out. Um, Desmond Ritter, for my money, has to get looked at this year. I don't care when it is. I don't care for how long it is. I do care for how long it is. It's got to be a good enough sample set to understand. But, you know, he's got to get looked at at some point. I, I, look, Marcus Mariota has said that he thinks he's going to be the starter week one. So is that a realistic possibility in your mind? Or is Mariota just sort of deflecting some attention here? I think that's just Mariota being a nice guy. He's he's a pretty nice guy, I think, as we've seen. Uh, and it's not that I don't think Desmond Ritter is good. It's just that I'm not a big fan of rookie quarterbacks starting week one, and I don't think Arthur Smith would be either. Um, unless he just absolutely blows it out of the water, which, hey, he might, uh, but I don't really see that being happening right now. He's going to have a big transition, which pretty much any quarterback going to the league does. I mean, Trevor Lawrence was through the most interceptions in the league last year. Like, I mean, it's just – it's not easy. And uh, I think – a good mark for him would be that Panthers game after uh, the first seven or eight games, which is a brutal stretch. Um, you know, if you look at a team that's one and seven and you're talking about being in Stroud, Young, Levis, uh, you know, those guys territory, you got to see what you got in this kid to see if you need to take a quarterback next year. No, I, I, I mean this in all sincerity. Like you haven't, you haven't listened to A to Z because that's the exact game that I picked for him to start was the week eight game against Carolina. Um, and I've said it repeatedly, the reason I believe that, one, they're not a good defense. Two, you're home. Three, you're going to see that same team 10 days later, and you'll get a real sense of what he's learned from, you know, the first time he sees him to the second time he sees him in a short amount of time. And I think that's a great barometer test to figure out what it is. Plus, he will have, you know, a, a, uh, a what do you call it, a, a break after that to, to have a, a mini bye week after the Thursday night game. So, I mean, I think to me, that's the most opportune time to put him in there because you can't wait till the bye week till after week 14. It's just too late. And I don't know if you're going to get anything out of the whole thing. I look for Ritter when it comes to like OTAs coming up, how quickly are they going to give him reps with the ones? 
because I think it's very telling. If they're willing to give him more, even if they don't plan on starting him, that at least tells me the kid understands what he's doing. He understands how to read a defense. He understands all the basics, right? Remember, and I said this yesterday on the show, he didn't see Alabama defense. He didn't see a, you know, Penn State defense. Hell, he didn't even see an Oregon State defense. Like the best defense he saw was Tulane for crying out loud. So like he played Navy. Like let's let's get real here for a minute here and understand that there's a whole different level of athlete and athleticism that he's looking at for the first time that he's never seen in his collegiate career. One of the games I do have to give him credit for, um, and I only really remember this one because I I bet the house on Cincinnati. He did go into <laughs> South Bend, and I mean he didn't look. That's my thing with Ritter. What I've always said that I liked about him, he never looks scared. He doesn't look intimidated right. in big moments. He doesn't look like he's ever outmatched. Even even against Alabama in the playoff, even against in Notre Dame in South Bend, he seemed you know he seemed pretty collected. He may not have had the best stats, but if he passed the eye test in that aspect, and I think sure. that's something that'll serve him well. Uh, but as far as you know, the speed of the game, that's definitely going to be something that's way different. That I mean, even in the NFL, it's so different from Alabama, so different from Notre Dame. Uh, it's it's definitely a big adjustment, though. You're right, you're right there. What is your expectation level? Obviously, it's low for the Falcons, but what would you consider a successful season for this team? <laughs> the honest answer, I would think it would be really successful if they had the first pick. Um, but I would say I would say you field a top 20 defense and uh, you don't have any you don't have one of those stretches like you had last year when it was Dallas, New England and, and somebody else back to back to back where you got outscored 70 something to nothing. Uh, yeah. Just don't get completely killed, <laughs> I guess. I well, think I mean, that's fair. I've, I think they're going to be competitive. I, I think this. What I always say is how you win never matters. How you lose always matters. Right. Like, you know, this if you've ever gambled, you don't care. You don't remember the big wins. You always remember the bad beats, right? They stick with you forever because losses suck. And so I'm okay if I'm watching a team, and I use this example, they head into the fourth quarter trailing 27-24, and they're in the game, and two mistake bonehead plays end up making it a, you know, 38-24 final. Now, it looks like a blowout on paper, but if you watch the game, you know that they were in it for three quarters and three-plus quarters, and that tells me, you get one or two other players next year when you have, oh, 90 million in cap space, and you can actually make a difference and start winning those games as opposed to losing them. I just need them to be competitive. It's like you, I think you coined it perfectly. You can't get outscored in a stretch 70 to three. Like that's just inexcusable at this point in time. Yeah. And, and another thing too is like if, if the rookies from this previous class look good, uh, if we get some, you, you see Richie Grant out there making some plays. Uh, that's the thing is you really just want to see that development of the young players. You want to see the young players play well because they're going to have a lot of cap space going into uh, not obviously not this season, but the season after that. And that's a lot you can spend on offensive and defensive lines. And and you can actually probably, you know, if you spend it right, fix your O-line and fix your pass rush, something they haven't been able to do in years. I mean, we founded the site in 2015 and I don't think we've ever really been able to talk about the Falcons being able to spend a lot of money like that. So it'll be interesting to see who who takes those steps. Well, that's what happens when you have a uh, Falcons for life, I suppose. Right. I mean, that's, you know, when you crown those people Falcons for life, you don't have a lot of money to spend because you're paying somebody for life. Nonetheless, I digress. Uh, let's talk about one player here in particular. Uh, and that's Kyle Pitts uh, as he heads into year two. Now, no one is sitting here trying to justify the touchdowns, right? Like you just can't have it. It's, it's, it's unacceptable, right? He's, he's, he's a six, eight guy. 
uh, and should be the easiest damn target on the field to find in the red zone. So we know that the one touchdown thing has to change. No one's going to try to justify it. That said, um, the one number I'm going to look at for Kyle Pitts this year more than anything is his targets. Because you can't sell me on the concept that you drafted him fourth overall as a ancillary secondary target. And you certainly can't sell me on that concept after you drafted him. And then you drafted another pass catcher in the first round the following year when you had plenty of other needs. You can't sell me on the idea that overfeeding those two guys the ball is the wrong answer. So I'm looking at targets for Kyle Pitts because all I really care about, if Marcus Mariota can't hit the broad side of a barn, I don't give a rip. If he hits the guy in the third row, but it was intended to go to Kyle Pitts, I'm okay with it. So I am looking at targets. If he has anything less than 120 targets this year, not giving Arthur Smith a pass. Not going to, because it's his job to scheme that dude open and scheme the ball his way no matter what. And the same thing goes for Drake London. If he doesn't see 70, 80 targets this year, shame on you, Arthur Smith. Now, I don't believe he'll do it, but I'm just saying that's the one thing offensively I'm not going to allow slide. Yeah, and, and another thing I've said about this Falcons regime is everybody either loves them or they hate them or they hate them. And my thing has always been, I just want you to have a plan that I can see. Like I, right. I, I want something that I can see. If you want to go get all six five or taller receivers, which they've done, and, and play jump ball all game, that's great. I just want to see a plan. I want to see some direction. And I feel like that's something they kind of lost at the end of the Dan Quinn era when it just became, oh my God, can we please not lose in the most embarrassing way possible? Like I just want to see a foundation to you know a foundation. For what you want to do. And you know what? If that doesn't work, I can live with that. But I, I don't want to be lied to, and I want to see a, a vision. Oh, you don't want to be lied to? You mean we're not in a rebuild? Like that lie? <laughs> I guess they I think they can find you if you if you say something, uh, if you don't say that one. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, we didn't really have any deep conversations about Deshaun Watson. You mean that lie? Yeah, that one too? So, anyway, uh, nonetheless. Uh, while I brought him up, I just want – it was great to watch you go that whole Twitter exchange from the sidelines uh, with Deshaun Watson. I don't need to know your sources. I don't care. I don't care where you got the information from. But it must have been fun having people hang on your Twitter account all day long for for like four or five days straight. Either that or it was really super annoying. Which one was it? Uh, it was a little bit of both. It was kind of one of those things to where I was like, okay, I know I'm doing this, and I know it's kind of going to be a big deal. I didn't, I didn't really ever think it was going to be that big of a deal. Um, but really – at, at the end of the day, I I know if it was going to happen. It just, you know, $230 million guaranteed to a guy with 23 civil suits pending against him. I don't think – I think a lot of people would uh, would reverse course on that. And, I mean, all this stuff's come out. They pretty much say that everything that I said was right, except Cleveland just came in at the last minute. My only mistake was high-stepping too early, which – I mean <laughs> – no, no. listen, those moments don't come along. Just just do exactly. it. Like, I, If you're going down, you go down big swing, right? You, you don't go down on a check swing. Swing for the damn fences, fall down, and make a complete ass out of yourself. That's the way That's you do exactly. it. Exactly. I was like, yeah, I'm already, I was like, it's, I'm going to get destroyed even if I'm wrong. So if I'm going to be wrong, I might as well be wrong and be super arrogant about it. But no, that was, some was, people the wrong way. Some people, you know, and I'm just, I've just, I've, I've moved on from it too. I mean, I'm just, no, yeah, what I was again. Doing before. I think we, we we DM back and forth. I'm like, man, don't sweat these people. Like you, like you, you knew this was the result if you were wrong. The I told you so crowd was going to come out of nowhere and just then eat you for breakfast. But it was fun to watch, man. I think you did a great job. I think you took it all in stride. You never got too personal with it. The fact that you actually deactivated your account for a short time was pretty funny. I was like, oh, he actually did it. I was like, oh, my God, really? I was like, I wonder if we're in the burner accounts coming out and everything else. So you, you held <laughs> your word. You had no reason not to get back on Twitter. 
you, you did what you were supposed to do. Like it was, yeah, I, thought I, it was I texted great. a close, a close friend of mine who's very like, um, in the public eye and he has to deal with a lot of that stuff. And he was like, he was like, no, you gotta, he's like, he's like, first of all, everybody is like, want you to come back and say like, you know, yes. he's like, you gotta just take it like a champ. And like, if you, if you can laugh about it a little bit, people, which I know, and obviously he's like, if you laugh about it a little bit, people forget. I mean, and it's forgotten about by this time. It's all over with. No one. Yeah. Cares. The new Avengers movie came out or whatever. And people have short attention spans. <laughs> they gave, gave him like two weeks and they got over it. Well, follow him on Twitter at can't guard Jake. Make sure you guys check out sports talk ATL com for the best Atlanta sports news. Jake, uh, always great to talk to you, brother. Appreciate your time as always. Let's do this again real soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Martin. All right. Take a time out. Come back. Fashion news and fan news about the Atlanta Falcons. That's next right here on A to Z. Stay with us. Welcome back to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast, you search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Thank you guys for joining us here on this Thursday afternoon. And before we get to some fashion and fan news from the Atlanta Falcons, time for Shovels of Wisdom. Brace yourselves because it's time for the Shovel of Wisdom. Yeah, you know how we do it every day. We pass out a shovel. If you'd like to do so, do so. At me on Twitter, at Mark Zeno, and use the hashtag Shovel of Wisdom. And today, my shovel goes to the NBA. I'm not really sure uh, what the NBA is doing or hoping to do or trying to prove or whatever. But I am a little perplexed as to how they keep holding announcers out with COVID. and reporters out with COVID. So remember we lost Mike Breen for game seven of the Eastern Conference Final because of COVID. Now Jeff Van Gundy, who sounded awful during that game, um, he now is out for COVID. And so is Adrian Wojnarowski out for the start of the NBA Finals due to COVID. Um, Not a single player tested positive. I mean, shocking, right? I mean, what are we doing here? Like, if you want to make COVID still a thing, and if COVID to you is still a thing, that's fine. I'm not saying it shouldn't be. Um, what I am saying is that if you're going to do something, I would at least appreciate some level of consistency. You're testing broadcasters, coaches. Steve Kerr even missed time with COVID, right? You're testing broadcasters, coaches, and everybody else, but you're not testing the players because you can't put Steph Curry out for a game because of COVID. The NHL isn't testing players, right? They're not doing this. They're in the middle of their playoffs as well. Nobody's missing games with COVID. It's just this, this arbitrary like, oh, we care enough to act like we care, but we don't really care. But money over supersedes anything, and we're not going to sit. I mean, it's just, dear Lord, it's so hypocritical. It's literally hypocritical. If Jeff Van Gundy doesn't feel well enough to call a game, then guess what? He doesn't call a game. That's his personal decision. If Adrian Wojnarowski doesn't feel comfortable enough to work a game, guess what? He doesn't work a game. And you people can get mad at me for that, and that's fine. I, I, I don't care. But at the end of the day, when you're not testing players and they're the ones running around each other as well and could be passing along COVID, apparently you don't really give a rip. You don't. So don't act like you do. So it's, it, it, the inconsistency to me is what really, really bothers me with this stuff. If you want to play the COVID game, fine. Then play it full out. Sit out players, sit out coaches, sit out important personnel and everybody else who, who, who comes in contact and put, and put them in protocol because that's what you're supposed to do. That's the way it was supposed to be treated. You don't just cherry pick people. Oh, you know, they, 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 that's that's a bunch of hogwash to me. I don't buy it. So I don't really appreciate the the 
hypocritical nature of the way they're going about doing this. Anyway, we digress. Uh, some fashion news regarding the Atlanta Falcons. Oh, boy, did you see what's going on in October? Falcons going to wear those throwback red helmets. Of course, we've been asking for them forever, and they're finally here. Uniforms are going to look stick. It's the game they play at the 49ers. Again, I think it's October 16th. They play the San Francisco 49ers, and they're going to be wearing those uniforms, which is flat out awesome. Um, that's, a, that's a lot of fun. And I'm almost kind of glad they chose the NFC. I mean, the 49ers rather could both throw back to the old NFC West when the Falcons used to play the 49ers in that, in that uh, division years and years and years ago. So um, a lot of fun that they did that. Give the fans what they want. It's a smart time for them to do it, given how little fanfare there is around the team actually winning football games. Um, and that, to me, is you know a smart move from their standpoint. At least put cool uniforms on if you're going to stink. Um, and, and people can at least try to show up to the games and enjoy that much for at least the first half before they get out of their seats and leave early. Now, that said, speaking of seats and leaving early, arriving late, as Falcons fans are wont to do, um, I'm not sure how you take this. But the Atlanta Falcons are trying this new initiative right now to get to younger players, or younger fans, rather. Um, they want to get 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old kids to the game and create what they're calling quote a pattern of behavior, according to their senior vice president of ticket sales. His name is Don Roback. Uh, and what they are offering right now, and they'll roll this out, is that it's a program sponsored by Ticketmaster, a Falcons corporate partner. All high school and flag football players in Georgia will be offered one complimentary upper-level ticket to a game this season, along with subsidized tickets for family and friends for $25 each if they're available. Um, so basically, the teenager is going to get the free ticket, and you can buy two more for family members, three more for family members at 25 bucks a pop, and they'll put them in the upper bowl and get them to a Falcons game. Um, I don't know if you're doing this because it's desperation and you'll take any fans in the stadium because you know the thing's going to be fairly empty for a better part of it. Like the, the stadium was empty when they were good. Um, it, it, it's going to be a bad look when this $2 billion building, this $2 billion Cinnamon bun model. Like a cinnamon bun. You know, the swirls the, I don't know. I always thought it would look like a cinnamon bun. Anyway, um, but this $2 million, $2 billion stadium, for it to only be 60% full is rather embarrassing. Um, so I don't know if they're doing it for that reason. I get the idea of trying to capture a younger fan base, but when you talk about football, it's sort of all encompassing to all ages fan bases, right? Like that's the allure of the NFL. They get everybody show up for everything. And uh, when you have to offer these kind of things, it's smart. Again, um, you're, you're not going to be very good this year and you want people in the stands. From a business standpoint, I think it's smart just to get people there and then hopefully if you get good, those are the people when they get in their 20s like, yeah, I want season tickets. I understand that. And I think that's a smart business decision, but at this point, it's it's almost, you know, it's always in the back of fans' minds, especially in this market, like, oh, you need to attract fans, don't you? Yeah. Hey, look, I can relate. I need more people to listen to this show on a daily basis. So make sure you like and subscribe to our YouTube channel and give us a follow wherever you get your podcasts. Search Locked On Sports Online. You see how I did that? That means I'm a pro. I kid, but not really. All right. Uh, that's going to do it for this Thursday show. Fill in host tomorrow for me as I am on vacation. So John Michael is going to anchor the show tomorrow. Make sure you stay tuned for that. He's one of the best in the biz. Certainly appreciate you guys listening to ABC. Make sure you listen to Hitting Hard with John Chuckery and ATL Day Ones with Jarvis Davis. 
Anthony Tortiz, all right here on the Locked On Sports Network, free on YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast, search Locked On Sports Atlanta. You guys have a great weekend. I'll be back on Monday. You guys have a great day. Don't forget to crap anybody. See ya.